All right, well, we're in Luke chapter 8, and I'm just going to read from verse 22. And Lord willing, we'll cover the whole, the whole chapter, and I'll read it as we, as we go along in the sermon. So Luke chapter 8, verse 22. It says, one day he, and this is Jesus, he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Let's, let's pray together. God, I pray that you would fill us with great wonder at the work of Christ. It would be a fearful thing to see him rebuke wind and waves, and yet a glorious, glorious thing. And so, God, I pray we would see him as Jesus, the Son of God, the one who reigns on high with authority and power, today. God, help us to follow him. Would you open our eyes and our hearts to your word that we would receive it with gladness and you would change us by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we're going to read about two miracles that happen on the way to other miracles. So just really quick while you're glancing at your Bible. So we just read in verse 22, they're going to the other side of the lake, which is the Lake Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. We often call it the Sea of Galilee. And if you look down, especially if you have a Bible like mine where they have these little subheadings, which of course are not part of the original, but the publishers put them in there, they are really helpful, right? And, And they can say, you see that Jesus is going to heal a man with a demon. This is what happens on the other side of the lake. But on the way, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves and they obey him. All right, then if you look down after the, the story with the demon uh, in verse 40, it's here that Jesus is implored by a man to come and heal his small daughter. And on the way, power flows out of Jesus to heal a woman with a chronic disease. So, so these are the miracles that Jesus does on the way. These provide a backdrop for the other miracles that Jesus does, but even more so, these provide thrust to the words that Jesus says. So in in the first journey, Jesus' authority is on display. In the second journey, his power is on display. And these, these form the basis for our faith in Jesus, his authority and power. So if you like basic outlines, there you go. I didn't print in the bulletin this week, but you could just make your own outline. Point one, Jesus' authority. Point two, Jesus' power. That's that's where we're headed. And and it's interesting because we don't just look at this and say, well, that's really good information. But rather, we look at his authority and his power, and we realize that those extend to us. So, And I get this from if you just keep your finger in Luke 8 and peek over at Luke chapter 9. We won't get into this this week, Lord willing, in the future, though. In Luke chapter 9, verse 1, listen to this. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. 
and he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal. So the power and authority that he gives to his disciples comes from him, and the objective to go and declare the kingdom of God also comes from Jesus. You're going to see those themes echoed in, or, or you know, put, put as a foundation in chapter 8. And so just to connect that for you. So we're, we're asking, how does Jesus' authority and Jesus' power extend to us? So look first at Jesus' authority. We've read the account of Jesus stilling the storm, the wind and the waves. And storms of that sort are common on the Sea of Galilee in, in Israel. So his disciples, some of whom were fishermen, this would not have thrown them for a loop, right? They were well equipped to, for a sudden change in weather. But of course, they have the good sense to wake Jesus up. Maybe this is a storm like they've never seen before, right? They have the good sense to wake Jesus up because maybe he could do something. I don't think that they necessarily had in mind what he could do because they're afraid of what he does. But rather, they're confident that Jesus can do something. This is a miracle worker after all. But what Jesus does, rebuking the wind and the waves, makes them afraid. Makes them afraid. Did you see this in verse 25, again, of Luke chapter 8? He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey them? Now, Jesus' question is legitimate. They, they had a degree of faith. We've already seen that in these disciples. But their faith seems to be in its infancy. Right? They, they question, who is this man? I mean, after all, no mere human can command wind and waves. That's Part of what makes nature or creation so terrifying, you and I have absolutely no control over it. Try as we might. And so their, their question, who is this, reveals an immaturity. Because the answer is obvious. Only God can do this sort of thing. But they haven't quite fully grasped that. Maybe they don't fully believe that. If they had fully understood Jesus to be God, then they would have trusted that when he said, let's go to the other side of the lake, they were going to get there, no matter what. Maybe that's why Jesus rebukes them. Nonetheless, this miracle is key evidence of the fact that Jesus is God. Look again at verse 24. They went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. Now, you know that rebukes are for things that are out of line. You might rebuke children who are misbehaving. You might rebuke one of your subordinates at work who doesn't do what you ask them to do. But it's quite a strange thing for Jesus to rebuke winds and waves as if they're not doing what they're supposed to do. It's a correction, though, that comes from a higher authority because wind and waves that are seeking to destroy is not what God created winds and waves for. This is evidence of the creation groaning under the curse of a sin of sin. This is this is the weight of evil that we see in our world. We look at disasters and we've had some pretty nasty natural disasters in the news recently. And we look at them and say, that's not how God made the world to work. And yet, God is still in complete control. Jesus is able to rebuke the sin-cursed creation 
and they cease. That's divine authority. It's divine authority. And it's almost as if the boat is like still settling in the water when they hit the shore. And you pick it up in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on the land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Well, here's, here's another storm. It's a different sort. A man with demons. Here's someone made in the image of God who is now filled with the minions of Satan. He's naked and homeless and lost. Again, this is not how, ma- how God made man to be. And verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Isn't it interesting that the disciples just asked the question, who is this? And the answer now comes from the most unlikely source. It's this this man. Or is it the demons? Or is it somehow both? Like they all know who Jesus is. This is the son of the most high God. The one who has the authority to torment them, and we'll read in a minute, and to cast them into the eternal abyss. They know who Jesus is. But the time for their torment has not yet come. See, Jesus simply demanded that they leave the man. Verse 29 says, For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. And then, and then there's an interesting parenthesis here, right? Luke's going to give us a little more background information so that you can feel the desperation of this, this situation. So pick it up here in verse 29. There's a parenthesis. For many a time, it, that is the demon, had seized the man. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Now, what what do you do with these sorts of people? You can't throw them in jail. They'll get out and cause a ruckus. These people who are scary, dirty, loud, unpredictable, no doubt you've seen someone like this man. We all have. And, and, and where we find our, ourselves in the story is, is not knowing what to do. What do you do with this guy? You can't bind him. He breaks the shackles. You can't put him in a house. He'll run out into the wilderness. You can't control him. He strips his clothes off and runs around naked. Like, we just don't know what to do. Facing the forces of evil are, is beyond our control. That's what makes us afraid. But this man is not beyond Jesus. Jesus has divine authority here. So verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him. And they begged Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. 
Now, I'm still very unsettled in my mind as to why Jesus sends them to the pigs. But I'm also very unsettled in my mind as to why Jesus just doesn't abolish evil entirely. Why are there still demons? Why do bad things still happen? Maybe that's the point. Like that we learn that God's purposes and plans are far better than ours. We might have an idea of how to solve this problem. Jesus, just eliminate the demons, cast them into the the abyss. But Jesus has divine wisdom and the divine authority to, to execute it as he pleases. We're supposed to look at this and realize this is entirely out of our control. Two storms beyond our control over which Jesus has authority as God. So what's the point then? What's the point of these two miracles? That's where you pick it up in verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? Like, they'd be more, they're afraid now that he's finally wearing clothes and calmed down? I just... That's kind of how we work, right? The problem gets solved and we're still afraid of the whole situation. Verse 36, and those who had seen him told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming, throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. You know, some people are so scared of what it would mean for Jesus to actually be God that they would rather he go away than submit to him. Because if it's true that Jesus is God, then that means that he is God over your life. He has the authority to command you to do what he wants. It means he has the authority to change things. He has the authority to kill off your herd of pigs. And he has the authority to confront your sin and tell you you need to change. I think the townspeople are those sorts of people. They're afraid of Jesus and not the good kind of fear. So they tell him to go away. But this freed man, this formerly demon-possessed man, he would rather go with Jesus. He has seen the goodness of Jesus' authority. And he'll follow him anywhere. But that's not what Jesus wants him to do. Notice Jesus tells him to stay. Go tell how much God has done for you. And the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I wonder if Luke in writing the gospel was making a point here. Say how much God has done for you. Here's how much Jesus has done for me. And he's not mistaken. Jesus is God. That's the whole point. Jesus, who has authority over wind and waves and demons, has the authority to command people to do his work, his way. And I think it's at this point that we have to look through these miracles to the cross and then to ourselves. And I've mentioned this before and I'll say it again as we we work through a gospel like Luke. The miracles of Jesus serve to confirm his teaching. 
and they point to the greatest miracle of all, his death and resurrection. And, and so the author, Luke here, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, has constructed his book with the full knowledge of Jesus' death and resurrection. And here's why that's important. Because the miracles are not just, um, aren't, aren't just like put in the book because they're amazing. The Gospels are not some sort of greatest hits of Jesus record. So that we would look at it and go, wow, that's cool. No, no, this is all purposeful. There's a narrative that is building up to Jesus' death and resurrection for his glory and to gather his people on the earth. And, and so, so we look at these miracles and we have to see them in the shadow of the cross, which means Christians don't ever forget you were the man filled with demons. I was the man filled with demons. In that we were all once slaves to sin, filled with passions that we cannot control, destined for death and led by the devil. Now, in the sight of other people, we can often clean ourselves up and make ourselves look presentable. But in the sight of God, we were naked and homeless and lost. But he saved us. By sending Jesus' son on the cross, Jesus absorbed the full penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross. He destroyed the power of sin and death in his resurrection. Jesus came to you and he called you and he cleansed you and washed you with his Holy Spirit and clothed you in his righteousness and set you at his feet. And he did this because he has the divine authority to call you, cleanse you, and make you his own. And now much like this man, He sends you back. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. May we follow in the footsteps of of our brother that we read about here and do what he did. Go and tell people what Jesus has done for you because he can do it for them too. The main reason we don't tell other people about the good things that God has done for us is that we're afraid. There's a lot of fear in our passage and there's a point to that. But the way we answer that fear is with Jesus. He rescued you from sin and death and the devil. Surely his charge towards us to go and tell others is guided by his hand. He has that sort of authority. And even if you die telling other people about Jesus, he'll bring you through the storm of death to eternal life with him. And so so Christians, brothers and sisters, tell people what Jesus has done for you. You would be wise even to take time today to write down the name of someone that you can tell about Jesus, a friend, a family member, a co-worker. Just simply tell them, can I tell you what Jesus has done for me? Tell them of his forgiveness and his love and his transforming power in your life because here's the good news. He can do the same for you. He can do the same for anyone. It does not matter how lost you are, how homeless you are, how dirty you are, how impossible you are. Jesus can cleanse you of your sin. He made a trek across a stormy sea of Galilee for one man. Do you notice that? He's he's just there for this one guy. And he turns around and leaves. Jesus though made the trek from heaven to a stormy world for a vast multitude of people. He sends us 
Like he sent that man to tell them. That is his authority. All right, we turn from Jesus' authority to his power. Pick it up with me in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at his feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. That is tragic. 12-year-old. It's urgent. And Jesus is the only one who can help. So keep reading. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. Peter's so realistic here, right? I mean, Jesus, everyone's touching you. The mob was choking his path. Okay, but Jesus is not talking about rubbing shoulders here. That's, what, that's the whole point. So verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me for I perceived that power has gone out from me. So Jesus' power to heal came from within him. This is not power that Jesus called down from heaven. It was not power that he learned in school. It was not power that he received from some holy person who put his power on Jesus. This is power that he possesses in his very being, the power of God. And to the extent that he could feel it when it goes to this woman. So verse 47, when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him declared in the presence of all people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And and you almost get the sense here that she feels ashamed. I mean, she trembles. Maybe she's wondering, was was she selfish in doing this? Did she steal something from Jesus that did not belong to her? Would Jesus rebuke her? Maybe he would even send the disease back in a curse? I mean, she risks all of that. She maneuvered through the crowd to get to him, because she believed that he was the only one who could help her. Jesus has no rebuke. Verse 48, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now it is not the strength of her faith that healed her. We don't read this story and applaud this woman for her great faith, though her faith is great. We read this story and give glory to Jesus. It's the object of her faith that gives her healing. He saves her from the disease. More than that, he brings her into his family, declares her his daughter. Now, this disease not only probably made this woman very poor, she spent everything she had on physicians, it also likely exiled her from all her relationships Like even her touch to Jesus would have made him unclean according to the Jewish law. 
But she doesn't have to come to Jesus in secret anymore. The daughter of the king is always welcome in the throne room. And again, if we look through this, through the cross to us, we think we too are sons and daughters of God by his power to deliver us from sin and death. Jesus has made peace between you and God the Father by the blood of his cross. He opens the way for you to approach the throne of God for help in every time of need. And all this is wonderful, and yet have we forgotten? There's a 12-year-old girl who's dying. Right now, look at verse Luke, Luke 8, 49. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Did we forget the urgency of this matter? Here's a little girl dying of 12 years old. Couldn't this woman who had suffered for 12 years spare an hour or two? Waited her turn? That's that's tension for us. That's not tension for Jesus. Oh, we are slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. But Jesus is patient to accomplish his purposes in his time. Because he has the power to do that. Like keep reading, verse 50. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe. She will be well. Now, if you are in the habit of underlining things in your Bible, that's a good candidate. Do not fear, only believe. Kids, if there's one thing that you should remember today, it's just those few words, kids. Do not fear, only believe. We're going to come back to that phrase because it's so important. But of course, we, we understand why this family would be afraid. We all fear that sort of tragedy, be the worst. But Jesus, not afraid, presses on. Verse 51, and when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. And he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Jairus had begged Jesus to come and heal his daughter. Jesus went, and nothing could stop him. Certainly not another daughter seeking his healing power, not even death. Jesus' power, like Jesus' authority, flows from who he is. Jesus is God. That's why faith in Jesus is the answer to every fear. Because he's God. He holds the power of life and death. You can trust him. He will lead you in his way for his purposes. Now, you have to be really careful here. Do not hear me saying, especially do not hear the word of God saying, that in every fearful situation, Jesus will just make it go away. That's often not his way. One daughter suffers for what? A couple hours? Maybe a couple weeks? We don't know. But a short time. 
while another daughter suffers 12 years without relief. But Jesus gives them both life in his time. Listen, you will quickly abandon Jesus if you expect him to always be working on your timetable according to your desires. Because he won't. You'll get frustrated with him. He doesn't see the urgency of your situation. He's off doing other things, less important things. But faith in Jesus says it doesn't matter how hard or how painful or how scary or how hopeless. Faith in Jesus says I will follow him because he is working things out in his time according to his purposes by his power and under his authority. And that's why the command rings, do not fear, only believe. So what are you afraid of? Just work back through the story. Are you afraid of natural disasters? Storms, waves, fire, flood? Are you afraid of demons? Unseen spiritual forces, they're real. Are you afraid of illness? Like chronic suffering? Maybe a terminal diagnosis? Are you afraid of tragedy? Sudden loss before what seems like the right time? Unexpected events? Are you afraid of death? I am. I'm afraid of all those things and more. In one sense, we read this story like, I wouldn't want to be any of the people in these stories. Like, uh, yeah, sure, after Jesus comes, but not before. We have a ton of fears. So what are you doing with your fears? Are you trying to avoid the things that make you afraid by not thinking about reality? Do you live in, in denial of the inevitable realities of life, knowing that these things that we've just read about and many more could come to you sooner than you'd like and in ways that you would not be happy with? Maybe you numb your fears with laughter. That's what I do. Maybe you numb your fears with indulgence in sin or drugs or distractions. Or maybe you're just one of those people that just pretends that you're the tough guy or the strong woman when deep down inside, we are all scared little boys and girls. There is only one answer to fear and it's faith in Jesus. He says, do not fear, only believe. We say, well, how does that work? That sounds like religious medicine, but it's not. How does faith in Jesus answer every fear? I'll tell you. Because there is one thing that you should fear above everything else, and that is God. He is worthy of our reverence and praise and respect. I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about the fear that we should be terrified, trembling, afraid of his justice and wrath. We are all sinners. We break his law. We hurt people made in his image. We are ungrateful and immoral and selfish rebels. Every last one of us. The details may be different from person to person, but at the end of the day, we all stand condemned as enemies of God. And God is good. He is just. So he is wrathful towards his enemies. So above all things, you should fear God. 
And that's exactly where Jesus is the only answer. Because God the Son hung on a cross to face the full wrath of God the Father that you and I deserve. So that dying in our place and rising in power, Jesus can say to each and every one of us, do not fear. Do not fear the wrath of God when you believe in Jesus. And if you can trust Jesus to face God's wrath, you can trust him through whatever fears come your way. The path may be hard, The days may be long. The pain may be unbearable. The darkness may be thick and hope may be thin. Winds may be blowing. Demons may be howling. Bleeding may be flowing. The people may be mourning and you might be lying on your deathbed. But there is coming a day where Jesus the son of the most high God will say to you, child, arise. And you will be new. New bodies in a new heavens and a new earth where Jesus makes everything new and finally abolishes sin and death and the devil forever. All our fears will flee before him on that day. That's where we're headed and, and while we're on the way, Jesus might do bunches of miracles, wonderful things as we go, things that we can tell other people of the good things that God has done for us while we trust him to see us through to the end. So would you pray with me? God, help us to trust you. God, in every fear, would you remind us that you have delivered us from sin and death and the devil by the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who believe that, that you would help us to hold fast to our salvation through whatever trials we face on earth. God, for anyone who's not yet a believer in Jesus, may they see in him the glorious power and authority to forgive, to make new and to lead us out of death and into life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.